Welcome to the Masculinist Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Wren. To keep up with all the content and subscribe to my flagship newsletter, please visit themasculinist.com. And now for today's episode. Hello, this is Aaron, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm going to be wrapping up my series on the old white Anglo-Saxon Protestant establishment today uh, with an episode called A Different Kind of Conservatism. But before I really get into it, again, I'll first remind you, please do leave a rating on Apple Podcast. It really helps with discoverability to have a great rating. I already had at least one person take a look at it and go, wow, uh, this is a highly rated podcast. So thanks to all of you who've done it. Uh, really appreciate it. It does make a difference when people decide whether or not to check this thing out. Also like to invite people to send feedback and suggestions on the podcast. What do you like? What do you not like? You know, what do you want to hear more of? What do you want to hear less of, etc. The podcast, as I conceived it, was always going to be a little bit different than the uh, newsletter. It was going to have some of these educational series on things like conservatism. But, you know, it's just kind of a mix of topics. When you have to put something out every week, great, right? the content must flow. But I would like to get a sense of, of what you're liking, what you're disliking, and any suggestions that you have. And of course, please do share this with your friends so that we can keep growing uh, the listenership. And again, one of the things that I have wanted to do with this podcast is to be able to um, educate you on things that you may not know a whole lot about. For example, the history of the conservative movement was a series that I did earlier uh, in the podcast because even a lot of conservatives in America really just don't know where American conservative came from. Right? How did this thing evolve? Who founded it? You know, what were the debates? What were the components? And since I've done some reading on that, and you know, I, I, I wanted to share it with you. And hey, I was in the same boat as you. I was actually working for a conservative think tank, and I didn't know where conservatism came from. And, and so this latest series has been doing a little bit of the same thing, looking at the old Protestant establishment. And my guess is probably you've never thought about the world in terms of social class, uh, you know, but that's really, I mean, hopefully this is even helpful in thinking about watching old movies uh, or watching, uh, reading old books, because social class, rather, whether somebody is new money or old money, right? Well, that sort of thing plays in to, you know, F. Scott Fitzgerald into, all, I mean, all this stuff. It's like a big deal. And if you don't really understand the connotations of social class, then you're going to kind of miss a lot of the a lot of the dynamics of the story. So I hope that's very interesting. And also think about, you know, just think features of our American life, like the establishment that we we once had and now we don't. You know, we, we've never we never lived in that world, and so we just we don't even think about it. I mean, I I, I try to read a lot of uh, U.S. history. Um, I wouldn't call myself an expert on it by any means, but every book I read, I learn so many things about this country uh, that I never knew before. It's just really amazing. Um, you know, how poorly educated, quite frankly, most of us are. Just what a bad job that we do. Uh, and so, you know, hopefully this helps fill you in maybe a little bit on American history as well. And I just want to kind of wrap up with one of the key takeaways of all this stuff, which is how modern American conservatism differs in very important ways from, you know, uh, historic or traditional conservatism. Baltzell was a conservative, but he was certainly not a conservative in the sense of a movement conservatism today. As I noted, the old, you know, Robert Taft Wright, the conservatives that were in the old WASP establishment, 
they really didn't go for this new, you know, Buckley thing. Most of them really didn't have a whole lot um, to do with it. They they just, they, they really didn't like it. And there's a lot of things that Boltzell would not have liked. For example, he made a comment one time that no true conservatism could ever be a populist. So he was very, very, very anti-populist. Uh, but, you know, he was also essentially very pro-patriarchy. I read in a, a previous episode on the, the end of The Gentleman, you know, that he was very explicitly all about patriarchy and about, um, you know, sexual continence, not divorcing, things of that nature. But I think one of the key things, the key element to take away from this is the core of Baltzell's concept of conservatism is organic social hierarchy, something that is totally absent from modern American conservatism, which in many ways is a conservatism not kind of worthy of its name. And what do I mean by that? If you go back to sort of the origins of the term left and right, uh, kind of goes back to the to the French Revolution, where I believe people who supported the revolution sat on the left in the National Assembly, and people who supported uh, the, the king and the old regime sat on the right. And so initially, conservatism in kind of the modern context dating to that era was a defense of the social hierarchies of the previous age. So in pre-revolutionary France, they had three estates. I think the first estate was the the clerisy, the, the church. The second estate was the nobility. And the third estate was essentially the commoners, everyone else. And so there were these different estates. They had different privileges, different groups, etc. And those were essentially organic in that they were a product of development over hundreds of years. Nobody sat down and wrote a constitution saying, let's design these estates. And so it was something that had come out of, you know, it, you know, originated deep in medieval society. Of course, the church goes, you know, all the way back to, you know, the Roman, Roman days. And so these people are defending that. Whereas, you know, one of the things that came out of the revolution was, is we're going to abolish these, this concept uh, of these estates and we're just going to have the people. There's just going to be the people. There's not going to be any of these social classes or hierarchies. I'm probably botching the French Revolution. I'm not an expert on it here. So, you know, this is just a directionally illustrative thing here. But again, the key is this idea that there are these organic social groupings. And so what Baltzell is basically saying is, you know, the idea of an establishment of an upper class having an organic continuity going back to the founding of this country, the settlement of this country, is very important to social stability and even to freedom. So he's he's saying, look, I want to reform the establishment. I don't want to abolish it because having an upper class is really important in society. I think if we flip and look at movement conservatism today, movement conservat movement conservatism today is overwhelming one that rejects the idea of social class and instead wants in very equalist, egalitarian society. And so, um, yes, there's a lot of debates. Does equality mean essentially equality of opportunity uh, or equality of outcome? You can debate all that stuff. But ultimately, equality uh, in a social sense, not just in a citizenship sense, is very important to this concept of conservatism. You can even think about a guy like Harry Jaffa, sort of the founder of the West Coast Straussian movement. I believe his whole idea was, 
you know, Lincoln's, you know, interpretation of the Declaration of Independence, uh, really bringing forth that equality was the key notion of America. And as I said, the people who founded modern American conservatism were people who were social outsiders, right? William F. Buckley was a Catholic. So there are a lot of Catholics, foreigners, Jews, etc. There were, again, there were a few wasps and there, not too many. So it was obvious that a defense of a social hierarchy that was not going to include them uh, was probably not going to be a super appealing notion. Now, there was originally, however, a sort of a traditionalist plank in conservatism. And, um, you know, you can think of that as the other, the other possible kind of organic conservatism is sort of an organic conservatism of place, culture, ethnicity, etc. And so this sort of traditionalist leg of the three-legged stool, which was essentially the free market, uh, anti-communism, and traditionalism, really did try to root, um, you know, somewhat root conservatism in the soil. But ultimately, that was essentially evicted. Uh, finally from conservatism in the 1980s, and essentially social conservatism in a religious right sense sort of replaced it. And you know, I'm not an expert on the traditionalist wing of the party, but a lot of them were really, at the end of the day, Southern traditionalists. And because of that, you know, fairly, unfairly, right or wrong, and I haven't delved into their writings, they were sort of viewed as being, you know, uh, apologists for the Confederacy. And that was certainly one of the the uh, things that was sort of used to evict, uh, I think his name was Mel Bradford, like in the 80s, one of the big battles. Uh, and, you know, I'm not a Southerner, so I'm not super interested in the South. Uh, uh, but, you know, so I do think this idea that, like, you know, American conservatism can't just be rooted in the South of the country, particularly since we've been a sort of a Northeastern-dominated country uh, for much of our history. But nevertheless, there was sort of a, there was sort of, a, you know, an organic connection to place, but that essentially was kicked out as well. And so now you've got essentially a conservatism that believes in essentially a raw meritocracy where everybody starts out, you know, with equality of opportunity, you know, the cream rises to the top and, you know, there's no more of the social class, there's no more atomized, et cetera. And of course that could be good, that could be bad, but I think that's just a very different conception of, um, of, of uh, conservatism than comes out in someone like Balto, who's like, hey, you know what? The fact that we have an upper class, and by the way, it is you know, somewhat hereditary. Yeah, if you are someone who's outside of that, you're probably not going to get in. Maybe if you succeed, yeah, then your kids will get in the first ring, and then their kids will get in the, the next ring, and so on. Over time, you know, you'll assimilate. Many of the most prominent uh, families in some of these cities were not people that went all the way back to the founding. They were people who, you know, came in later. So, but it would be a process, right? And there's going to be a gating and yeah, there's going to be heredity that's going to play some role because having a connection, if we think about Jeffrey Cabba Service's book, The Guardians, which focused on a guy named Kingman Brewster, who was the president of Yale, Kingman Brewster was an 11th generation descendant of Elder Brewster from the Mayflower. Okay. So you're, you know, you're a 11th generation lineal descendant you know, of one of the leaders of the Mayflower expedition. And yeah, that should count for something in America, according to Baltzell. And I think that's a really interesting way to think about it because it's so foreign to our consciousness. And one of the key things, and if you've read my article, you kind of get this, is that he worried that this highly equalist vision would ultimately end up creating a totally atomized society that would 
undermine freedom in the United States. And I believe this is basically coming from like Tocqueville's uh, Democracy in America, where Tocqueville talks about the threat of atomization that results from a highly democratic social state and the tension between equality and freedom. And so uh, to, to Baltzell, it's like if we don't have something to counterbalance, um, if we don't have something to counterbalance the, uh, the, the atomization, then ultimately, you know, freedom in the United States is going to disappear under some sort of oligarchic uh, rule, um, very different from the old establishment, uh, which is a sort of a, you know, seen as a legitimate, a legitimate ruling class and which had all these constraints uh, on their behavior that came from that kind of social condition. And so we had, you know, they were like, well, we're not going to enrich ourselves at the public trough, for example. We have all these obligations, not just rights and, and privileges that came with that. And so I think this is one of the other things is that if we, if we operate in essentially a classless, totally egalitarian society, you know, we end up with uh, atomization. It's essentially a neoliberal conception of society, and we end up with a highly atomized uh, thing. And, and this vi- in this view, I think, filters into so many things. You can think about theology, gender theology, and this division um, within some of the Protestant evangelical the, the Protestant evangelical world between an egalitarian gender theology and a complementarian gender theology. You know, where the egalitarian says no, we shouldn't have essentially distinct classes of eligibility for certain roles based on gender, but we need to take a completely gender-neutral role. There should be like one mass. The idea that gender is a category uh, that would apply in some substantive way in society is essentially, um, you know, in the church, certainly in the administration of the church, uh, specifically holding the office of, you know, pastor, elder, bishop, etc., you know, that's just something that's essentially rejected, right? And so the complementarian... The complementarian side, but well, you know, the Bible actually says this. And, you know, yet it's very difficult. It's very difficult sell because we live in this fully egalitarian society where all social distinctions have essentially been abolished. And I think if we want to reestablish some kind of a sane society, we have to, you know, somehow be a lot more comfortable with some kind of uh, organic social hierarchy. Now, do we have that in this country? We don't. So I'm not saying, you, you know, the whole point of an organic social hierarchy is that it's organic. <laughs> you can't just design a social hierarchy. Uh, then, it, then, it's, then it's inorganic. Uh, but I do think this idea is, you know, we need to question some of these assumptions and, and what it means to be a conservative. Like, you know, to be a conservative means uh, totally, uh, uh, you know, and let's just put it in Baltzellian terms, means we believe that uh, the Declaration of Independence means a totally atomized society where everyone is sort of on their own uh, and they're going to rise to their own level and all that. And there's, there's, some, there's some good in this idea that we're not imprisoned uh, as a peasant uh, or a serf on a manor uh, in the Middle Ages, not advocating for that. Uh, but this idea that, you know, it's just all kind of very atomized, which is functionally what it has turned into. And of course, you know, again, the conservatives would never say they would never say that they support atomization, but the question is, what social distinctions, what social hierarchies do you suggest are valid? It's like, we want to abolish all that stuff and then say, yes, we'd like to have all this thick community too. Well, it doesn't work that way. That's why we don't have any community. It's like saying, oh yeah, we've we've eliminated all these bonds, right? These sort of thick social bonds that used to confine where people were, 
And uh, now we're gonna let we're gonna free people from all that, and we're gonna let them, um, you know, we're gonna let people do whatever they want. Well, that's great, but oh, where'd my community go? How come nobody's like there when I need them? That's because there's trade-offs when you make those sort of things. And so I think we look at our society, we see what's wrong with it. I think we have to be a lot more comfortable with things like social hierarchy and social distinctions in society. Doesn't mean all social distinctions are good, all hierarchies are good. Not saying that, but something we also ought to be thinking about and rethinking like, yeah, why is it that essentially the American conservative movement was going along with essentially jettisoning the uh, social hierarchy? In fact, the, the, the social hierarchy of the country was their opponents <laughs> from, the, from the very beginning. A little bit of something there. And again, I'm not saying that that was a conscious thing. Oh, we need to abolish all social hierarchies. Uh, but I do think there's, there's an implicit, uh, you know, in this kind of fusionist concept, in this conservative concept, there is something that was implicitly hostile to social distinctions, something that we ought to all think about. But again, I'm going to wrap up this series here. Uh, you won't hear any more probably about Digby Baltzell. I'm always reading interesting books. And uh, so sometimes I just give you the download on the books. I read them so you don't have to. Uh, might be one of the things. If there's, again, if there's feedback that you have, tops you want to hear more about, things you don't want to hear about, let me know. And you know, I'll probably start throwing out a few kind of individual episodes here uh, on a variety of little topics. Maybe I'll, I'll do a little current events uh, here and there. But, uh, you know, we'll see. Thanks for listening again. Uh, please leave a rating. Please spread the word. Really appreciate it. Till next week. Bye-bye.